the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought. I'm Mark Donnelly, and I'm flying solo today. So my partner in crime, Carrie, is normally with me. She's off cruising, and hopefully she's safe on the high seas with her family. And so I need a little help because I don't do the show solo too often, and I need a little help from my friends. So today, let's start by listening to a little bit of Elizabeth Warren, of course, Democratic potential presidential, uh, well, is a presidential candidate, potential potential president. And let's hear her, her talk when she's speaking about her new wealth tax. So this, let's see if I can get this going. And see what do you think about this. Today in America, the top one-tenth of one percent has amassed about as much wealth as 90 percent of America. Upper middle class, middle class, working class, working poor, and the poor poor. And the consequence of having amassed that much wealth is bad for our economy tiny group of people making decisions uh, that always tend to favor a lot of big corporations and bad for our democracy because it means just like you hear it's now a democracy that is influenced by the wealthy the well connected connected and is not working so you, for the people you have this proposal out today it's a wealth tax it's very interesting yep. it's not it's not income right so incomes are flows uh yep. you know everyone money coming into people a year and that's usually how we tax things wealth is sitting there it's a stock it's a thing that's sitting there and a wealth tax is a novel idea in the american context it's on the very rich households with 50 million dollars or more in assets it's about 75,000 households it would bring in a lot of money 275 billion dollars a year so this is a lot um there's also an, an, a, a tax for billionaires here's my question to you the first thing i hear when i look at this and talk to other people is 
they're going to get out of it. If you pass this and you try to go to Wilbur Ross's assets or you try to come after Donald Trump's assets or any of these people, they are going to find a way to get out of it. What do you say? Hmm. Good question. I say, you think I didn't see that one coming? So the way that this is written is to say, first of all, going to tax all your assets wherever located around the globe. So if you were planning to move them to Switzerland or some island... This is easier said than done, by the way. all going to be taxed. The second part of it is we're going to build right into the uh, administration of this tax that it has a very high rate of monitoring, of auditing the rich people on the... They're going to need an army of IRS agents if this was ever implemented. And the third part of it is, you know, once you identify these assets, it's actually not that complicated and hard because unlike some other places that tried to build this, this one isn't going to have a bunch of other socialist countries. This one says all your assets wherever located and we're going to keep counting and you're going to have to pay if you have more than 50 million dollars in assets. This is the ultra rich. You're going to have to pay two percent a year of that amount over 50 million dollars so no one's worried about that deal about the money though i want to underline this part it's to use that money to build opportunity here's the pitch rest of america so this is the kind of money think about this over the next decade we could produce just short of three trillion dollars that's nice. the kind of money where we could pay for child yes. care, high quality child care for free child care our kids it's the kind of money where we could do real relief on student loan debt right forgive it's all that debt free college make a real start on a green new deal there you go it's the kind bam of money where we could bring down the cost of health care it's the kind of free health care medicare for all somebody else in this economy a chance a government that's not just working for the tippy top the what that starts to work for the rest of America. So, did she so just say tippy top i think the overton windows they call it okay there you go so you know this is march madness and if you've been listening to this show we've been concentrating on march madness for um and and i'm not talking about the college basketball championship um although we do have the sweet 16 now and again i'm not talking about the basketball i'm talking about the democratic candidates for president um, oh, assuming Joe Biden is in, I guess he's not officially in yet. Maybe he is. I haven't checked the, the news in the last hour. But the idea is I couldn't get out of March without talking about the madness of the Democratic Socialist push for, you know, the Robin Hood uh, solution, you know, to the what they deem the income inequality in this country, meaning, you know, take from the rich and give to the poor. And there's a lot of different versions of it. And today we'll spend a little bit of time, maybe a little bit, you know, part part of the show talking about why I'm going to try to make a case that I don't think a wealth tax will ever be enacted in this country. Um, And and I'm, I'm not here. You know, I know the listeners aren't worried about, well, Mark. I'm not worried. I don't have over $50 million, so I'll never have to pay the wealth tax. And by the way, uh, you know, I I get that. See, I'm not worried about you, the listener, having to pay the wealth tax. What I'm concerned or worried about is that the listener 
is, is believing that this wealth tax, when it's implemented, will solve all of their own financial problems that will shore up all the entitlement programs so that their taxes will never, ever have to go up in the future. You know, kind of like the, the rich uncle, you know, syndrome, right? You know, where a lot of baby boomers are saying, well, the only way I'm going to survive and have any type of retirement is if I inherit money. You know, and I know I got that rich uncle somewhere that's going to leave me a million bucks. So I almost, you know, make an analogous. I think a lot of people today, when they hear these presidential candidates' campaign promises, that they have got the next solution to solve all these all our country's economic problems and to make sure that you, middle-class America, will never have to pay a dime more in taxes because we're going to enact this wealth tax that saves everybody. That's what I'm concerned about. I don't know if it's going to be enacted. Um, so let's see what else is going on. Um, so as I said, this is Financial Food for Thought, and it's brought to you by the estate planning team. And the estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 34 years. And as I always like to say, we do it one plan, one family at a time. And Carrie, uh, again, is normally is here to, to kind of keep me in line, but I'll try to do my best in her absence. What else is going on? Um, well, you know, March Madness, you know, we're coming up to some key dates that you want to remember. And we've been talking about them in March. So if you ever want to go back and listen to some of the uh, earlier shows, they are podcasts, so you can go to WHK 1420, The Answer, and, you know, just click on local podcasts and find our time slot, Saturday mornings, 9 to 10, and they have a good history of our shows. So let's see. So March, you know, we we talked about a lot of things in March, including the April 1st deadline for required minimum distributions. Now, remember, that's not April 15th, um, so that April 1st is coming up pretty quickly, um, you don't want to miss that one because that could be a 50%, you know, excise tax penalty if you miss your first required minimum distribution. But also maybe what a lot of things, you know, a lot of on people's minds now is the April 15th, you know, the income tax filing deadline. And, you know, are there still opportunities that you may want to take advantage of before April 15th? You know, so we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, Coming up later in the month, now that we're leaving March and going to April, April, we're going to be focusing on all things new homes and real estate. Okay, so, you know, we'll be, you know, stay tuned for that. And we'll be talking about all sorts of things, you know, in April. We'll be, you know, are you buying? Are you selling? Are you renting? Are you fixing up? Are you wondering how to build a new home scenario into your next financial plan? Are you planning on buying first and then selling your home? You know, the two home scenario. Are you planning on or forcing yourself to sell first and then buy? Lots of different ways to do it. What is the one that's going to work for you? We'll be talking about big homes, tiny homes, all sorts of homes. We'll be talking about what the baby boomers are thinking, you know, do what they're looking for in retirement homes or what maybe they should be looking for in retirement homes. And we'll also be talking about millennials and why, you know, are they ever going to start buying homes? You know, at first, I guess they have to get married. I don't know. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens there. 
And maybe if there's time, we'll talk about the X generation. Of course, nobody cares about them. Uh, they're too small to worry about, right? Not really. Um, so that's what we'll be focusing on in April. Um, but let's, you know, again, talking about March. So one of the things that you still have time to do is to file, or file, before you file on April 15th, you can still contribute either to a tax-deductible IRA or a Roth IRA you can contribute to, um, or a health savings account, an HSA, you still have time to contribute to um, by April 15th for last year, Okay. Now, you know, it seems like, you know, everybody is aware of that, but it's it's funny how often when I'm working with our estate planning team clients that in any one year, this always pops up and it's like, well, I, I understand the client is missing an opportunity just because even though they might have in the back of their mind always remembered that rule, or if they try to remember that rule that you have until April 15th to file an IRA contribution or a Roth IRA contribution for the previous year, they if they weren't in the practice of doing that, they, they miss an opportunity in any one year that they sh- you know should be doing it. And interestingly enough, that's happened multiple times in this year. And I'm not exactly sure why it's, you know, I, you know, but it, it, it's but I've, I've got a couple of cases that just immediately come to mind. And, you know, one was a situation where we had a, uh, you know, now obviously if you have to still be having earned income in order to contribute to a tax deductible IRA or a Roth IRA or uh, if you, you know, now if you have too much income, you can get phased out as well. For example, you know, for 2018, so we're talking about 2018 right now that you still have time to contribute for 2018. You have until April 15th. So there's phase outs for deducting, you know, IRA contributions. So if you're married filing jointly, those phase outs begin at 101,000 and are completely phased out by 121,000. Okay, for a single, okay, the phase out begins at 63,000 and maxes out at 73,000. Now, by the way, if you're married filing separate, it pretty much takes the opportunity away because you're phased out at only $10,000 of income. All right. Um, now, for 2019, those, all those numbers I just gave you are slightly higher. How about for Roth IRA contributions? Okay. Well, there, if you're, you know, the phase out there for married jointly is 189000 to 199000 Okay, and for singles, one hundred and twenty thousand to one hundred and thirty five thousand. And then once again, for married filing separate, you get that penalty that you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA at ten thousand dollars of income. Now, it has to be earned income, right? It can't be passive income. So we're talking about W-2 wages, you know, and things like that or self-employment income. Right. And the idea is, well, so what are some of these cases that came up this year? Just, you know, pulling it out of my recent memory. Um, well, you know, one was a situation where we had the couple. And, and by the way, you know, when you have a couple situation, as long as one of the two of the married couple has enough income, they can contribute not only to their own IRA or Roth IRA, but also their spouse's. We call that a spousal IRA or a spousal Roth IRA. 
So, you know, basically, you know, you know, if you've got the um, if you've got enough income to do both, you can do both. So, you you know, in other words, both spouses don't have to be working in order for both spouses to file or contribute to either a Roth IRA or a tax deductible IRA. Um, Now. What's the most you can do? Well, again, using 2018 numbers, if you're under age 50, the limit is 5,500. And if you're over age 50, you get the additional $1,000 catch up, which would be 6,500. And if you're doing you and your spouses, that would be 13,000. Okay. By the way, those numbers also are slightly up for 2019. You know, the uh, the catch up stays the same at 1,000, but the, you know, under 50 goes up 500 bucks. So, you know, for 2019, it's 6,000 is the, is the maximum contribution. All right. Now, um, so what are, where are my case examples? Well, in one situation, we had a couple and he was still working. His wife was retired. And, you know, he, I, 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 when we were looking, we were putting his, you know, his net worth together at the end of the year. So that's one of the things that we do for our clients in January is we take an accounting of the December 31st balances. And, you know, because we want to know, are we on plan or, you know, not on plan? And when we were going through that exercise with them, we realized that he had a lot of cash. And we said, okay, so what are you doing with your cash? And he said, well, you know, I mean, he, was, he was really concerned about the market. And so his cash was just accumulating. Um, and I said, well, you know, have you thought about, you know, making a, uh, you know, a, you know, IRA contribution? And he said, well, I'm not interested. I have enough in my tax qualified. I'm not really interested in that. And, and, and he was, you know, and I said, well, what about a Roth IRA? And he said, well, I, I don't think Roth IRAs are a good investment. And I'm like, well, well I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. What do you mean Roth IRAs are not a good investment? And, uh, and so in his mind, you know, he had this impression that if you were going to invest in a Roth IRA, you, you, like you had to invest in stocks or some risky investment. I, I said, well, no, you could. I said, well, because when I, when I questioned him what he meant by it's not a good investment, he was like, well, I, I really, I don't, I have enough in the market right now. I don't want to take any more risk. You know, I don't know when that next, you know, shoe is going to fall. I like CDs. You know, I, I, I like my CDs right now. I see the rates going. He goes, I'm practically getting two and a half percent on, on CDs. And I, and, and so I'm just, you know, seeing banks now that are, you know, for 24 months, you're getting close to 3%. He goes, that's, and I said, well, I go, I understand that, I, that you like CDs and you like, but would you like that two and a half percent interest if it was tax free? And he said, well, yeah, of course, who wouldn't? And I said, well, this is the opportunity because you've got the excess cash sitting around. You, you, you make the qualifications because you had earned income last year and you haven't funded a Roth IRA for 2018. You could just go to your bank and say, OK, I want to move, you know, $13,000 because he was over age 50 as his wife was. I can move $13,000 and just open up a Roth IRA and, you know, call and I want to buy a CD with it if that's what your risk tolerance wants you to buy. And boom, you're going. And he's like, gee, I never thought of that. And it's like, yeah. And now, is that going to make or break his retirement plan? Of course not. But it's the little things that matter. And, and if you do enough little things, if you stay active in your financial planning process, you know, better results will occur. All right. Um, 
Now, the other situation was a client who actually retired in 2017. Okay. Um, but unbeknownst to him, what happened was he retired at, you know, December 31st. He, you know, ended the year. And then he actually got his, I don't know if he exactly called it a severance package, but he had, you know, his built up vacation time, unused vacation time, unused sick days that his company paid that out to him. You know, he didn't forfeit it upon retirement. Now, that amount was paid out to him in a lump sum. You know, he never really knew how it was going to work, um, but he ended up finding out that that gets paid out to him in a lump sum, but it is taxed just like W-2 wages. Okay. Now, the other thing that was happened was even though he retired in 17, he did not actually get this check, and it was in excess of $22,000, by the way. He did not actually get this check until 2018. And so, hence, he did end up getting a W-2 for 2018, and so he's got earned income. And so, when we were meeting with him, we said, well, you know, what do you, you, know, what'd you do with the 22000 It was like a windfall for him in one retrospect. And he said, well, it's just sitting in cash because, you know, I don't really know what I want to invest it in. I'm worried about the market, you know, the same old story. And I said, well, you know, just out of fun, have you thought about funding a Roth IRA, you know, at least getting it into your Roth IRAs? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, because this is deemed to be, you know, earned income in 2018 and you make the income, you know, test, you can fund not only your own Roth IRA, but as your spouse's Roth IRA, once again, up to $13,000. And he's like, gee, I never thought of that. And, you know, so these are the, you know, you know, the little things. Um, Now, so now we're getting pretty close to April 15th. So over the decades, you know, as I said, this comes up usually every year. I never know which of my clients are going to have this opportunity, but I know next year I'll have more just like the last 30 years, I've you know, um, we've had people every year seems to think they're, you know, it, it may play out. It may, it may be a once-in-a-lifetime situation that works for you, but let's take advantage of it. It actually may be a more than a one-time situation, um, depending on how much longer you're planning on having earned income. Now, the other thing is as we get closer and closer to April 15th, though, a lot of people say, oh, gee, I, 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 I don't know what I want to invest it in. You know, and that's and that prevents them from making triggering the maneuver. And I said, well, you know, I don't I don't know if I would let that get in your way. In other words, all you're trying to do is by April 15th, get the money into the Roth IRA in this example or the traditional IRA if you're going that route and getting the tax deduction. Um, which, by the way, lowers your taxes for last year. Um, so you still have time to adjust your taxes for last year if you're if you're coming in higher than than what you wanted to be. Now the the idea that's saying so, you, you know, you don't have to you know have the money invested. I mean, once again, literally, you could go down to your you know where you got your savings at a at a bank 
and just tell the bank teller you want to open up a Roth IRA and just move cash from your savings account into your Roth IRA, and you, and you, you're not trying to make an investment decision on it. You're just going to leave it in cash. The idea is at least it's in that tax wrapper timely. Okay, and then at your leisure, you can decide later on after April 15th what you really want to invest it in. And, and maybe you, you eventually maybe you do want to move it to a broker or, you know, maybe you've got an investment advisor somewhere who's managing some of your other money. And you may just eventually, you know, roll from the bank, you know, Roth IRA over to your broker's Roth IRA and then invest it in the future. So it's, it's that, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, if you're coming up to the deadline, you don't necessarily have to say, okay, I've got to make my investment decision right now versus I know I'm just deciding that I want to take advantage of this, you know, know, contribution that I can still make. Um, Now, a couple other rules that come up is, you know, age limit. So if you are over the age 70 and a half, you can no longer contribute to a traditional IRA because now you're in your required minimum distribution phase. But if uh, there is no age requirement for the Roth IRA, so if you're over 70 and a half and still have earned income, you can still contribute to a Roth IRA. Um, now, in the, and part of that reason is because Roth IRAs do not have required minimum distributions. So there's no barrier to continue to contribute after age 70 and a half. So there's just a couple of things that you might want to uh, keep in mind in, in, you know, when we're looking at March Madness. Um, And these are some of the things we talk about at our classes. So if you have not been to one of our classes, we've got a couple coming up on April 23rd. That's a Tuesday. We've got our IRA and Roth IRA class, and that's going to be at 10 a.m., and that's going to be in our Middlebrook Heights facility. And you can just, you know, call the home office at 440-239-2090. And that's 440-239-2090. And just leave a message. No one's there over the weekend. Just leave a message um, that you want to get signed up for our class. Um, Or you can also visit our website, which is, uh, you know, just financialfoodforthought.com. You know, financial food for thought, just one string. And, you know, we have a button on there that, you, you know, has our classes uh, posted and you can sign up right online. Um, The second class we're having is the retirement planning class. That will be on Tuesday, May 7th. Okay. So we have have some time to do that, but I, you know, we'll let you know that we, we try to, you know, keep the sizes to uh, the size of the class to, you know, not a minimum, but, you know, a smaller group that, you know, allows you the opportunity to ask a personal question at the class, you know, and, and, you know, because of that, our classes do fill up. As a matter of fact, we already have people signed up for both these classes because they've been posted now on the website for a couple of weeks. Um, And that May 7th, that that's an evening class. So, you know, for those who are still working and, you know, can't get out during the day, that's a six o'clock class, and all our classes go about two, two and a half hours with questions. There's a great booklet that is yours to keep um, that we have, you know, and by the way, those booklets have all the new tax tables involved in it. So that's, um, so that's kind of what's going on. 
So let me go back. So talking about the madness of the wealth tax um, or, you know, this progressive movement to tax the rich to give to the poor. Because, you know, several of the Sweet 16, and again, who are the 16? Do you believe there's 16 Democratic candidates right now? We've got Julian Castro, we've got John Delaney, we have Tulsi Gabbard, we have Christine Gillibrand, we have Kamala Harris, we have Richard Ojeda. I think he dropped out, but if assuming that Biden gets goes in, that, you know, will take his place. Elizabeth Warren, that's who we're talking about today. Andrew Yang, we've got Peter Buttigieg, we've got Cory Cory Booker. Okay, he just did a, did you see his town hall on CNN the other night? Oh, boy, I don't know if I have time to talk about that, but I will in future, you know, not this show, uh, upcoming shows. Because he, you know, we'll talk about his baby bond solution, but more on that later. Um, We've got Marianne Williamson. We've got Amy Klobuchar. We've got Bernie Sanders. We've got Jay Inslee. We've got John Hickenlooper and Beto O'Rourke. So there's the Sweet 16, um, assuming Joe Biden is in. Um, Now, so several of them, you know, are making campaign promises that, you know, they are the one who has a solution to this ever-growing inequality pay gap. And, And I'm not denying that there is a pay gap. You know, I've been saying for years on this show that the middle class squeeze has practically gotten rid of the middle class. You know, and, that, and that's that's the ironic thing. Everybody says they're in the middle class, but really very few people who really think they're in the middle class are by definition or how the, the professionals uh, the, d- define the middle class. And what I mean by that? Well, I mean, basically, if you're looking at a family of four uh, middle class America, that would be a, a total income of about fifty thousand dollars a year and a total net worth of about one hundred thousand. So if that's not you, I'm not so sure you're middle class. Okay, even though you may have higher numbers than that, but yet you deem yourself to be middle class. Now, um, the, the idea is, why do I say that? Because when you hear sometimes in presidential campaign uh, promises, you'll hear a lot of the candidates saying how they're going to give middle class tax breaks. And I just, you know, always throw the, you know, the warning out there that they might not be talking about you, okay, when they're saying that. Um, so, you know, the idea how, you know, the rich are getting richer in this country and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is getting squeezed to one of those ends, all right? Um, as a matter of fact, Pew Research Center, their polls have it that about two-thirds of Americans believe the U.S. economic system unfairly favors powerful interests. Okay. So, you know, why do I then contend um, that Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax is just another example of a, you know, POTOS uh, hopeful to pander to gain votes from a lower middle lower class voting block, okay, um, and saying that this is a real solution and is going to solve this problem it, 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 again. So you know the idea that and and what is her you know tax all about? Well, you know as as you said, you said well, Mark. I mean, 
you know, a 2% tax above $50 million of wealth. I mean, that's not going to, that's not me. So I, I'm not worried about that. But, you know, and, and then there's the billionaire tax, right? You know, what what is it? It's uh, the rate would rise to 3% on assets over $1 billion. Okay. And, you know, as she said, it's only going to affect $75,000, you know, households. But my point is, if you think that that tax is ever going to be implemented and somehow it saves you in your retirement plan, I'm not so, so sure because I don't think it's ever going to be implemented. Um, now, you could say, well, why, you know, do I not think it's going to be implemented? Well, first, I guess, is the question of legality. You know, is it even legal? Well, you know, it's certainly legal in other countries, okay? Um, But it's interesting. Globally, this idea of taxing wealth is on the decline, okay? Um, So, you know, the, the, the number of nations that are members of the Organization for Economic Cooperation Development with a wealth tax dropped from 12 to 4 from 1990 to 2017. Okay, so, you know, they're getting, you know, they're leaving this. Um, Switzerland is one that still has it, and that's the one that's kind of the poster child. And a lot of people say, is the Switzerland, you know, wealth tax working or not working, right? Um, And there's, you know, mixed, uh, you know, judgments on that, I guess, Um, Now, one of them is, you know, there's been studies, you know, in Switzerland that, you know, for every 0.1% taxes on wealth that went up in a certain area, the wealth taxpayers reported to the government dropped by 3.5%. So so it's the idea that as you tax wealth, all of a sudden taxpayers start saying they don't have as much wealth to tax anymore. Now, are they lying? (laughs) <laughs> or is it really happening? Um, you know, what's going on? Or, you know, as some, you know, critics say that they don't know if they've just given up saving because, you know, why save your money if you're just going to be taxed every year on it? Or maybe are they hiding it? You know, or, or and they may be legally hiding it, right? I mean, it's the idea of, you know, wealth tax being that you taxed on what you own, what you own, you know, title ownership, Maybe more so than what you can you could control, you know, and, and, that, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, tax strategies in the past that have been used to avoid or shelter wealth from these types of taxes. That's why, you know, you would need an army of IRS agents to watchdog this. Right. If it was ever implemented. Um. Let's see what else. Um, and, and, you know, again, so it's that idea that although it may sound good on, you know, in the ivory tower as it sounds morally just, you know, tax the rich and give to the poor and shrink this pay gap inequality, how realistically implementational is it? Okay. Um, because, you know, you can come up to, you know, the problems of, well, you know, how do they even, how are they even going to, you know, calculate who is going to determine what the, you know, fair market value of the assets are 
to assess the tax. You know, it's it's one thing, I guess, if you um, if you say that it's a stock that's publicly traded, so we can pretty you know easily get a fair market value. It's a, maybe a different thing if you've got a Picasso hanging on your wall, or you've got a business, or you know you own um, you know real estate. You know, how, you know who's gonna you know who's to say what the fair market value of those are. Um, now, um, and you know, the other idea too is what other countries have found is that a lot of times their, uh, their taxpayers just pick up and move, I mean, move the country, move out of the country, just exit, you know, and, 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 you know, go off into the, live off in the, you know, the, 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 the sunset on a, on a desert island somewhere. Um, or in another more tax favorable country, so that's the other thing you you have exiting going on, and and that just takes all the wealth away. So you know that's not you know sometimes a good solution either. So now the question though, we could go one step further and say, well, okay, globally it is being used, so we could say, is it legal in the U.S.? Okay, um, well, we could start with the Sixteenth Amendment, I guess. Okay. So the 16th Amendment, you know, which grants Congress the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. But it specifically says incomes, not wealth. All right. And so there's a, there is a constitutional argument that they cannot tax our wealth. All right, they can tax our incomes, and there's even constitutional, you know, people object to that, but I think they lose that one in tax court. Um, so, but then you say, well, Mark, what about the estate tax, the federal estate tax, and the federal gift tax? I mean, isn't that a tax on wealth? Hmm. Um, funny you should ask, um, because that is, uh, you know, uh, an argument for it. And saying, well, if they, if you know, we've taxed estate taxes in the past, why can't we just, you know, tax estates while the person's still living? Even though neither one is that as an income tax. Okay. Um, well, to get the answer to that, you kind of got to delve into the, you know, sordid history of the U.S. estate tax, right? And it goes back, you know, actually it goes back pretty far. <laughs> it actually predates the Civil War. All right. And, and the, it's the idea that, it, you know, it's not a income tax. Everybody gets that. But it's also not they didn't call it a wealth tax. It really, you know, was was born out of the idea of an excise tax. You know, we could talk about the Stamp Act of 1797. OK, which, you know, enacted a small graduated transfer tax in America. And, and that was used to develop the Navy. Okay, and by the way, you know the, the, the history going through the history of the uh, state taxes, it, it's it's interesting. It, they, it, they they've been implemented, they've been rescinded, they've been changed. Both Democrat and Republican presidential uh, people were were in power when they enacted them, um, and, and typically, if they were ever taken away, they've always managed to find their way back into the tax code. Usually, when the country in dire economic conditions, either because of wars and or, you know, economic depressions. 
um, or great recessions or any other, you know, major financial problem, right? So the Stamp Act, you know, that kind of started it. Um, and then, you know, that came in in 1797, and that was repealed in 1802. But then, you know, in 1862, hmm, what started happening in 1862, uh, maybe the Civil War, you know, a series of acts creates federal inheritance tax in order to help finance the Civil War. Okay. Now, in 1870, that inheritance tax was repealed. You know, you know too bad you couldn't, you know, call up your friends and tell them that because telephone hadn't quite been invented yet. All right. Um, okay. Then we had, um, yeah, then in 1889, we had Andrew Carnegie recommending a heavy estate tax in the gospel of wealth. You know, and then in 1898, we had the War Revenue Act, which established an estate tax to defray cost of the Spanish-American War. You know, at that point, there was a $10,000 exemption. Then that, you know, estate tax was repealed in 1902. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess it's, if we can fly planes by then, we certainly can repeal the estate tax, right? Um, then in 1916... Okay. Um, well, actually, let me go back before that. How about 1906? Okay. Theodore Roosevelt proposes a graduated inheritance tax to Congress. So a lot of people point to that as the birth of progressivism. Okay. Um, then 1916. Hmm. Anyone remember what was happening globally in 1916? Yep. You got it. World War One. You know, estate taxes became the permanent source of federal revenue with the Revenue Act of 1916. Okay, and then um, and then, of course, the most recent history, we've had the, you know, rising federal state tax exemption level, the disappearing, the 2010 disappearing state tax, you know, the throw grandma from the train plan. Um, You know, George Steinbrenner took everyone up on that, you know, when he died in 2010 and didn't have any estate tax, um, you know, and then, you know, the more recently, the 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 not the repeal of the estate tax, but the essential repeal of it with, you know, the uh, latest Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, you know, upping the federal state to tax exemption to eleven point four million um, and, and couples, married couples can actually get two of those. So, you know, twenty two point eight million and that'll be continuing to go up with an inflation factor. All right. So it, it's, you know, again, um, so. Can they do it? But the, uh, once again, the idea that the estate tax was, came more out of the idea of it was like an excise or a transfer tax. It was the idea that you, you are transferring ownership of your uh, assets to somebody different. Okay? Now, in that, it, 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 with regards to that, and that's why, by the way, there was a free transfer of wealth between husband and wife. So, you know, there were there were no estate taxes due at the first death. You know, if dad died first, everything he could leave everything to mom, and mom, of course, wouldn't have to pay any estate taxes. The 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 the, the estate tax or the transfer tax would happen when you know the the parent was you know leaving. And changing or transferring assets to non-spouse beneficiaries, you know, that's where the estate tax came into play. Um, and and again, you, you know, uh, you know, the modern estate tax. Um, let's see what we can talk about here. You know, just just a paraphrasing here. You know, the years immediately following the repeal of the inheritance tax. 
were witness to an unprecedented number of mergers in the manufacturing sector of the economy, fueled by the development of new form of corporate ownership, the holding company. This resulted in the concentration of wealth in a relatively small number of powerful companies and in the hands of businessmen who heeded them. Along with such wealth came great political power fueling fears over the rise of an American plutocracy uh, plutocracy, and sparking the growth of the progressive movement. Progressives, including, you know, the, the Roosevelt, that's what I talked about before, advocated both an inheritance tax and a graduated income tax as tools to address the inequalities of wealth. So, you know, again, the inequalities of wealth, all right, and we hear a lot about that today, and, you know, is it fair, um, you know, to do this? Well, the fairness is an idea that, okay, let's take Elizabeth Warren. 2% tax on wealth over $50 million. Um, well, the idea of that is, okay, so let's say you have $100 million and so you got $50 million over, so 2% on $50 million, that's a million dollars of tax. Okay, um, but what happens if the taxpayer doesn't have the $1 million in cash um, because, he, you know, he, by the way, at that level, he's already, you know, probably paying 40%. In federal and state income taxes, right? And let's say his wealth is wrapped up in illiquid assets. Maybe it's in IRAs. Maybe it's in, you know, real estate. Maybe it's in businesses. You know, all those things, you know, I I mean, see, the idea of the income tax is that you're getting income. So therefore, you have the cash flow to pay the income tax. Right. But when you're talking about a wealth tax, you're getting taxed, even though there's no income being, you know, you're already taxed on the income that that wealth is generating. Now you're taxed on just the principle of it. But you don't have the cash. How you do you have the cash flow to do it? So so how are you supposed to come up with the cash to pay it? You know, well, well, what happens if, if all your wealth is in an IRA? Let's say you're, you know, it, well, if you have to take out, you know, if you have to pay a million dollars wealth tax and you got to take the money out of the IRA, you better gross it up to about, you know, 1.7 million because you might have to take out 1.7 million of your IRA to pay the, the because you, you have to pay the income tax as well as the wealth tax. All right. You have to, you know, um, how about if you're not 59 and a half yet? Are you and and the only way you have to pay the wealth tax is by taking an IRA distribution. So are you going to be charged a ten percent early withdrawal penalty? Um, how fair is that? All right, is that going to take a bite out of your nest retirement nest egg? Well, let's say your your, your money's not in IRAs. Let let's say it's in, um, let's say it's in non qualified investments. Um, let's say it's in, you know, bonds, stocks or, or businesses or real estate. Well, once again, you know, you know, it's it not exactly liquid. So are you, do you, is the government going to force you to sell your, your principal so you could raise cash to pay the wealth tax? Can you just take that amount of money out of the business that's generating the wealth tax? Do you have to sell your business? Um, I, I, you know, at fire, at fire sale prices, and you say, well, Mark, that would never happen. Oh, really? Uh, does anybody, you know, remember why Joe Robbie Stadium's not called Joe Robbie Stadium anymore? You know, does anyone remember that story? You know, poor Joe Robbie, you know, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, you know, he passed away in 1990. 
and you know the state taxes are due you know nine months after the date of death you know and so his family you know were facing a 47 million dollar estate tax bill they didn't have the cash to come up with the 47 million so what they have to do they had to sell the miami dolphins and all the holdings right um and that you know is that fair um is that you know i don't know the uh you know that's the question is you know it would this type of tax be you know debated and constitutionally challenged and really how would it ever be watchdog and how fair is it oh i got to relax i got to calm down a bit you know i always say on this show and to my clients you know i'm not here to defend the logic fairness or simplicity of our tax code just here to talk about the rules and to make sure that you know you are you looking for opportunities in a very complicated tax code and not to get drawn in by you know these outrageous political campaign you know uh, pitches that I don't see how they could ever be enacted, especially in a split Congress. But let's now let's listen to Van Jones, and he was commenting on Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. Yeah, it's interesting because um, uh, this is a very popular idea. Um, one of the things that's happening is this weird phrase called income inequality, wealth inequality. These are very academic terms, very dry terms that have now become very mainstream and very popular. It just means the rich have been getting richer, the poor have been getting poorer, and the middle class has been getting devastated. And Donald Trump blew a multi-trillion dollar hole in the budget with his last kind of tax giveaway. And you got if you're looking at seriously, how are you going to govern the country now? Do you go back and you make poor people and middle class people and working class people pick up the tab for the, for the Donald Trump tax cut? Or you say, well, fine. Let's figure out some way to uh, repair America's bridges and roads and, and, and that kind of stuff and fill this hole. Who's got the cash to do it? The people who are making $50 million, $1 billion, $20 billion, those people, uh, 2% of their income could fill this, this hole, and they probably wouldn't even notice it. So it, it, you could, I think some people on the right way. You know, first of all, I don't know if Van Jones quietly gets the concept. You just heard him say 2% of income. This isn't an income tax. This is on top of the 40 or AOC's 70% income tax that they want to, you know, get in place. This is 2% on wealth every year. Okay. And, you know, and they might not have the cash to pay that 2% wealth tax every year. Or how how quickly how quickly would they get rid of their wealth, and and the idea that okay it's it may start off at only over fifty million, but once it's on the books, you think that might be ratcheted down a bit. You know, kind of the idea of like the old AMT tax that originally was only supposed to affect a small handful, and by the time it got you know pretty much eliminated, there there were millions and millions being subject to it. And, 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 and for Van Jones to say, oh, they wouldn't even miss it. Well, well maybe you, you ought to go back and, and ask, uh, you know, Joe Robbie's widow and, and his kids if, if they missed the Miami Dolphins asset. 
You think they noticed that? All right. So, enough of Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. Enough of, you know, the new, the Green New Deal. Enough of the socialist democratic, you know, Robin Hood fairy tale solutions. Um, you know, but the idea is how does this affect you? Keep an eye on opportunities. How to do that? Come into our classes. Okay, we've got the, you know, two classes coming up on April 23rd. That's a Tuesday. That's at 10 a.m. And on May 7th, that's also a Tuesday. That's an evening at 6 p.m. If you can't wait or can't make the classes and you don't want to wait, that's okay. Come on for a free consultation. Actually, the free consultation may be better for you because we'll be looking at your numbers, not the case class example numbers. But, you know, if you and by the way, we'll give you the class books. If you come in for a consultation, um, you know, we have the, the class books there and you're more than welcome to take one home with you. If you're, you know, if you're trying to make a decision, let's say on Social Security uh, elections, pension elections, you know, any of these other items that you not sure, you know, you're not quite in a decision making mode. And you, you're trying to quickly get an answer and you can't wait for the class, then don't, you know, come on in for the free consultation. You know, we, you can just call the office at 440-239-2090. Um, we can do those consultations face to face in person. Uh, we can do them by phone. Um, and the idea is, you know, for, you know, are you getting enough data you got to sharpen your own elbows in a very complicated tax code and you don't want to miss any opportunities because it's the little opportunities that may make all the difference in your retirement all right enjoy the games have a good weekend everyone Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.